Hey everyone, this is Beth. And this is Jeff. And this is your Enneagram Coach, the podcast, where we're here to help you to understand yourself with astonishing clarity so that you can break free from self-condemnation, fear, and shame by knowing and experiencing the unconditional love, forgiveness, and freedom in Christ. Well, Jeff, we have some really cool episodes coming up that we are going to be interviewing some really key influencers out there, and we're going to actually hear from them about their own personality style and how it's affected them throughout their entire life, as well as their growth today. You know, one of the reasons why interviews of uh, Enneagram types uh, is so helpful is that it's a very common tendency for us to stereotype Enneagram types will focus on behaviors and all the externals, but really the inside of the Enneagram is not what you do, but it's why you do what you do. And a lot of people miss that, but these interviews remind us that, hey, you may be a two, but you're a unique two. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we each have not only our type, the lens at which we see the world and interpret it, and therefore we react, we're motivated by certain core motivations, but we also have our own story, the way we grew up, where we grew up, how our parents were, and all the other aspects. All of that combined creates this unique self, this unique story, and the trajectory that God has us on. We discussed that a little bit in our uh, series on superheroes, Yeah, because we all have our own origin stories. We all have this moment of crisis, tragedy, trauma that really shaped our sense of personhood. But then there's this also part of redemption where we experience something of renewal and healing through faith in Jesus Christ. And then our hope to come of what does life look like now that I have both pain and I have my own sin, but also I have the hope in Christ. And so we get to talk to these people about what what it was like for them growing up according to their type. What gifting do they do they bring to their relationships? What pain uh, do they have that kind of is residual from some of the tragedy that they have experienced in their lives? Yeah. And so what you're going to hear is we're going to lay out some questions for each of these nine types. Um, There'll be two types per episode, except for this very first one, there'll be just uh, the type one. But we're going to ask them, you know, what was their journey like in finding their Enneagram type? And just to hear that, that's kind of always fun just to kind of hear how God brought this information to them and kind of woke them up to why they do what they do. But then what was a story from childhood? And and that's been really fun to kind of hear what it was like now looking back. What was it like as a child to see the world through the lens of their type and how that kind of affected them? And then we're going to talk through their core motivations and this is exactly what you're saying, Jeff. So many people look at outward behaviors and they might see someone that's like fun and and vivacious. And so they're like, oh, that's got to be a type seven when no, it doesn't mean they're type seven. Like all types can actually be fun, but why? And so we're going to get to those core motivations and really kind of dig deep. But then where it gets really personal and fun, I think personally, because I love hearing transformation is how Christ satisfies their core longing. And I hope that we're good examples in this because it's something that we commend to all of our coaches, but also to everyone that we meet and teach, is that to be curious, to be curious about one another's lives rather than that stereotypical comment that you hear, like, the Enneagram just puts me in a box. And they're absolutely right in one sense. There are people who use the Enneagram to put themselves or to put others into a box rather than recognizing 
God's unique story that he has given them and being curious about it. So learning how to ask questions of these types, uh, not to make assumptions, uh, not to predetermine what we think they should do, believe, feel, but inviting them to share what's their experience um, being that type. Yeah. So what you're going to basically hear is as Jeff and I interview each person, we're really going to kind of take not only a podcast interview approach, but also a coaching approach where you'll kind of hear how we ask questions or we guide or we point out certain things and how that really um, pulls out more from this person. And in fact, you'll probably hear a lot of emotion come out um, where you're, you're sensing this rawness, this um, deep authenticity from the types because we're able to speak their language, their um, the way their heart is hardwired. And then we bring the gospel to them and kind of hear from them how important that is for them. And so it's such a, a bright spot in hearing it. But then what's really cool is each of these um, interviews are with people that are influencers. They've developed a platform, they're authors, they're speakers of some kind, artists. And how has God used their personality style to bless others and glorify him? So in Ephesians 2.10, it says, we are God's workmanship. And the word behind workmanship is poema, that we are God's poem. We're his unique artistic design. So we hope you enjoy uh, these five episodes as we dive deep into the lives of um, these people that you may know and get to know them on a very personal side. So let me actually reveal who we're going to be interviewing because... I literally cannot wait for them to hear this, to get um, excited and anticipate, put it on your calendar that these podcasts are coming out. So in this interview, type one, and then all of the other episodes will have two types going for them. So this um, interview, type one, is with Kira Hinton. And you're going to hear this beautiful depth of transformation of God bringing righteousness to her, which allows her to rest in the serenity and the beauty and the creativity of Christ through emotions. And so as an artist, Kira uh, really demonstrates the flow of Christ within her through her artwork. And I can't wait for you guys to hear from her, to experience um, the work that God is doing in and through her. And it has absolutely been a blessing to me. And I know a lot of uh, my coaches that we've trained, um, as well as some of you who have seen her artwork. So I highly recommend you checking out her artwork. But that is type one. And then in the next episode, we'll have type two and three. And our type two is Emily Lay. She is an author and the co-founder of Simplify. And then on type three, we have Rachel Cruz, who is uh, an author as well and works for her father, um, Dave Ramsey. And then we have in the following episode, type four and five. Type four is Emily Freeman. As you guys know, she is a best-selling author as well. And then type five is going to be a surprise. Well, okay, I'll be honest. We're still securing that one. <laughs> so it's a surprise to you. The fives have hidden and yeah, we can't find seriously, them. Seriously, <laughs> it's actually true. It's, that's the funny thing. We've reached out to several and we're still waiting. Come out, fives. Um, so that's going to be a surprise. And then uh, type six and seven, that following episode after that one, type six is Jamie Ivey and type seven is Allie Worthington. And then the last uh, podcast episode on this, we're going to have type eight and nine. And the type eight is Joe Saxton. 
And then the last one, but not least, type nine is Carlos Whitaker. And I hope that you guys know all of these names. We're going to introduce you to them if not. But if you do know them, guess what? You're going to hear from them on a heart level, really getting to know them for who they really are and to see them through a new lens, a gospel lens. So we can't wait for you guys to just be with us, to take this journey with us. And we hope that this not only will bless you in hearing their story, but it will also help you to be curious in your own story as well. So thank you so much for joining us for this first episode where we've invited Kira Hinton uh, to take a deep dive in understanding type ones. Hey, Kira, it's so great to have you here. Hey, it's so good to see you guys. Talk with you. The last time we actually saw each other and actually the first time we met in person, though we've done a lot of talking behind the scenes for different projects, um, was a little over a year ago when your son was just a month old, right? Yes, it was so fun. Even just running out to the parking lot and meeting you in person, it was wonderful. I know. That's like all we had time for was just a (laughs) hug in the parking lot. But um, that was really dear. And we've done some really fun uh, collaborations together. You wrote the forward to my type one book. And I also helped with uh, the artwork and the mapping out of the Enneagram. Why don't you just ta- uh, touch on that real quick? Because I love for um, our audience just to hear what you did with that artwork. Um, and then we'll dive into what it's like being a type one. Yeah. So I took on a project in uh, the summer of last year, 2019, um, to map the human experience was kind of the key pen using the Enneagram as the lens through which I could, I could just dissect that a little bit. Um, so essentially mapping each Enneagram types journey home. What would, if they had to walk an actual landscape in this world, what would that look like? So for every single type starting in childhood wound or in, in unhealth or, um, that I, what do you call it? The being orphaned from Christ it, through mm-hmm. that, that pure growth point to that, that place of, of growth, maturity, uh, health, all of that. Um, and so for every type kind of translating that into a physical plane where you could almost map, map it out, see, uh, see that visually the struggle that each type has it, the whole purpose of it was to, um, build empathy and compassion for each other and for ourselves of, wow, this is the terrain that they have to walk mentally, um, in, into growth and health. And also maybe to be able to give another, um, vocabulary or, or way to process like, Oh, I feel like I'm right here on this map. And what does that feel like? And kind of a tool for coaches also to work alongside people, um, and going, well, what does it feel like to be right there? What do you think would help you push past that into something else? Way, way to process it visually in the Enneagram. We've got lots of wonderful words and, um, and other resources, but maybe something that could help people relate to it in a way that breaks past some of those mental barriers of, of things. Yeah. And what I loved about the whole process is so for people to kind of conceptually try to see it in your mind is when you look at, let's say, a painting from the left side, the left side is when we're not as healthy and we're still growing, we're still struggling. And then um, as you progress and grow more healthy, she, through her painting, shows that terrain um, of what it looks like when that type is more healthy. And it is 
literally remarkable. And so we had the discussion of what would it be like for a type nine? And that was so fun to kind of explore what is the terrain that a type nine goes in. And then, so when you showed it to me, I was like, oh my gosh, yes. But then she did it also for all the wings. So she then brought in, so for me, the nine with an eight wing, she brought in part of the eights painting with my type nine. And I literally was like, that captures me perfectly. Like it was just so uncanny. So I just really hope that those of you that love the Enneagram will also check out her artwork and really just look at those maps and see where you fit in that. So thanks Kara or Kira for doing that for us. And um, just really representing our internal world um, as we grow and as we struggle. Okay, so let's dive into what is it like being a type one <laughs> on the Enneagram? Well, the first thing is, how did you find out about the Enneagram? When did you first hear about it? So I'm one of those people who found it through Sleeping at Last. Um, his songs, I, um, my brother was like, have you heard these? These are amazing. His new album is coming out and he's like going through the Enneagram. What is, what is that? Um, my degree is in psychology, um, and counseling. And, um, so I love personality things. Uh, the Enneagram wasn't really being pushed when I was going through, at least in my degree. And so, uh, even though I was totally primed to love it, I didn't know about it until sleeping at last. And of course, when I found out about it, he'd already done the one song. Um, mm. and so I, I jumped in at that point, heard the one song and, um, everybody has had different reactions to hearing the songs for me. It was just like, well, yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> like, duh. Um, <laughs> which I think it might be also a one, like a slightly rational, thinking like, uh, I, I didn't necessarily break down in tears. Like a lot of people have reported. It was just like, that's true. Like, that's just yeah. true. It's truth. Perfect. Like you saw the truth. Yeah. Cool. We're operating off of this foundation. Logical plane. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so then I, I started looking into it after that, just really digging into it. However, I could through different books and resources. Um, but so much of it just clicked for me. It just made sense. I was like, well, oh, okay. So that's what we're calling this and the struggle. And once I, once I understood the kind of basis of the Enneagram and where it came from, then just exploring and digging into as many different facets as I could was so fun because what I love about it, the Enneagram, um, is that it, it accounts for, uh, fluidity and for flexibility yeah. for growth, um, which, you know, Myers-Briggs, you know, the questions are like, if you are at a party, do you go to the middle of the room or the outside? And there you go. Like you're introverted or extroverted, but you're going to change in different circumstances and you're going to change throughout your life and you're going to lean into other things. And, um, that explains what you do, but the Enneagram goes, why do you do it? Um, mm -hmm. we might all go to the outside of the room for different reasons. Um, this really goes, it, like the difference, it's not a personality test. It's a personal development inventory. It goes at like, how can you then grow? What do you do with that? Which I think I'm really attracted to because I, as a one, I need the idea that we can, that there's redemption, that there's better, that there's more. I don't like yes. the going here. Here's who you are. And you're going to be like that forever. I need the, there's a path from here. Things can get better. That idealized version of who every person could become and could grow into. There's a, there's a path. We've got a map. Yes. So the idea that the Enneagram fit into this visual map 
that I could kind of depict and I could see and and I could understand and step into the into the shoes of all of these different types um, as a nine wing uh, was just so so rich. Like I completely yeah. jumped in feet first and. Uh, yeah. So now that you know you're a type one on the Enneagram, uh, what what was your first experience that you can recall looking back now as a child that would have exemplified you as a one? We'll be back after a quick break. Moms, it's here. Registration is open for Enneagram for Moms cohort. Yes, from May 6th to May 13th, you can grab your spot to be in one of the cohorts with moms of the same Enneagram type, plus with a certified Enneagram coach leading the way. Wouldn't that be the most amazing thing to be with like-minded moms who really understand what it's like to be on your journey as a mom from your type? Yes, it will feel so validating, reassuring, affirming, encouraging. You don't have to mom alone anymore. Go to yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts to grab your spot today because there's only 25 spots available for each cohort. Now we have a cohort for all nine types in the daytime and one in the evening. But when the spots are filled up, they're gone. So grab your spot today at yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts. The groups start the week of June 10th and go until the week of July 29th. There are 90 minute sessions and there's eight of them. Plus, you'll get a free Facebook group community where you can continue the conversation with one another. Join today. Oh, boy. I feel like ah, everything. Um, <laughs> I, we, we grew up in church every day. It was open. Um, and it was one of those, like, it was just constantly like, what's the good thing to be doing? What's the best thing to be about? Like, even though I was relatively organized, I preferred to have my room organized more than messy. And, you know, and some of those like things, more of what it came into was like, if there was something to be involved in, I was involved because I believed in the cause, like I believed in it and I wanted to, uh, make things as good as they could be. Um, and when it was like, I, I wanted to, my plan forever was to, to be a missionary because that was the best thing that you could do and you could be about. Mm -hmm. Um, and especially kind of in the tradition I grew up in, there wasn't necessarily understanding that that good that you could be about could happen in a lot of different ways. Um, becoming sure. an artist felt very, un, uh, against kind of what I believed was the best thing to do and walking into that with, with the Lord and feeling like him was, he was going, no, this is how I'm leading you. That purpose that I've given you, I can do in a myriad of ways. And here's a, here's mm -hmm. a way I want you to do that. Um, so I feel like just everything, it's just this like undercurrent yeah. or this, the, the soil in which all of the individual stories kind of grew up in. But do you ever feel like your parents um, were trying to, help you to lighten up a little bit or maybe have fun? Like how did your parents account for your oneness? Well, what's interesting is I, I think being a first daughter naturally plays into being a one in a, in a lot of ways. That stereotypical mm -hmm. first daughter of like, uh, okay, for instance, my um, younger brother, he was like more rebellious than I was because uh, one and first girl. And I remember offering to take his spankings because I like was oh, so like wow. upset that 
this, he wouldn't, wasn't learning, you know, or like, I just, again, he was like super young, but like that I played into that first girl role very, very strongly. Um, and I, I do have a, a lot of fun. I, I know I can see the seven, like lean a lot. And so, Uh so goofing around and things weren't really uncommon. Um, but the things worth taking seriously, I took very seriously. Well, I can say that. So, um, I do, I think in some ways there was like a, okay, well let's, let's go get dirty. Let's go have fun. I think my mom tells a story when I was really young, I didn't want to get muddy or messy and I was starting. And so she took me out and made me play in the mud. Um, and I ended up enjoying it, but I can see that now as a parent being like, Oh, well, yeah, that would be, that would make sense. Uh, for Mm -hmm. me as a one, even possibly from that age, and that kind of counterplay of making it fun to be messy. Which actually I love because the artwork that you do is purposely messy. I yeah. mean, like, it's like m- messy and not. Like, you know. Like I, uncontrolled. I, I have to lean yes. in with what the art wants to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I just love that because, you know, it, and it actually reminds me of nature. And I know for type ones, nature is messy. It's what it is. And yet ones feel so at home with it because Mm -hmm. there isn't necessarily this right way it needs to be. And that kind of undoneness is perfect in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And do you feel like Mm -hmm. that when you see your artwork as well? Oh, a hundred percent. I well, first, like when I, um, I was studying mountains, they're my favorite. We live in the mountains and I realized like I was always doing them in like the perfect way that mountains should be laid out and, and it always looked wrong. And then I realized like, they're not perfect. They, they can't, and that's the perfection in them. And I had to lean into allowing that imperfection with my art. It's kind of the perfect thing for me because I have to step out of feeling like I can control things. And in, in leaning into that art, my art studio is, very it's it is still organized but usually it's the messier place in the house because Uh it's the place where I have to intentionally leave a lot of that at the door um I have to be willing to work to be flexible to not control I have to let go of the control and find the beauty in the uncontrollable find the beauty in the mess um lean into into that and actually use that uh as the center point as as the purpose um is the the uncontrollable things, the things outside now, of my grasp. You, you helped, um, I would love for our audience to see what you do. And I think one of the best representations of that is the song from Sleeping at Last, which is Ryan O'Neill on type four. And where would it be the best place for them to find that? Is that on your website? Is that just YouTube that they YouTube, search for it there? Yeah, YouTube. You can just Google search Kira Hinton and Sleeping at Last. It's the first thing that come up. Um, so it's on YouTube. It is on my website. Um, I think on the, on the homepage of the website, if you scroll down a little bit, it's also embedded there. Um, but that was yeah. a blast. So we'll have that in the, we'll have that in the show notes. Cause I just think that'd be really great for people to see what you're stepping into in health, because mm-hmm. when they see that and they think of a type one who wants things black and white, right and wrong, your artwork represents the letting go moving towards the healthy part of seven and the healthy part of four, which are the two lines that you're connected to. So both types are highly creative. One is more optimistic and future oriented and the other is more emotional and depth. Um, and I think your artwork really brings out the best of that. Um, and yet you also do it with that 
beauty of oneness with it. So I want people to really go and see, see the artwork from that perspective and they'll have a much better sense of who you really are. It's a really fun thing when I, when I go into any space, specifically my art to think through what's the four part, what's the seven part, what's the one part. Um, (laughs) Because honestly, I kind of pinpointed I was a one because of the core motivation um, and the core fear but being connected to one and four and seven was the, like the key, like, that's how I knew a hundred percent that I was a one. Cause I feel both of those just so strongly. Yes. Um, and so the four in me, my art decays, it's a living thing that the chemicals end up di- dying. So the four in me is caught in that tension of the, um, and, and loving also the beauty of the transience of something that lasts for a moment and then is gone, the deeply emotional things. And there are paintings I make that I love and I sit with them while they die. And it's like so <laughs> emotional. Um, and the seven is the, like the fun and the, like, this is just fun. Let's just go with the risk. Like, let's take that risk. It's also what pushes a lot of my business side of like, why not? Like, that's a lot yes. of the question my seven asks is why not? What could hurt? Yeah. Like, just, you know, what? do it, go for it, see what happens that explore and the adventure. And then the one brings in the purpose of why I'm doing all of it. Like I'm doing all of it to show like what we, what we could be, what we can be yet again, that like the, the hopefully calling for, for higher to, to give courage, to give hope, to give light. Like, so everything is done for that deep motivation of being good, but encouraging good in others in the world. Um, but they're done through those two very emotional or, or other ways. It's, it's fun to dissect that, I think, and see. Yeah. I also just want our audience to kind of understand the type one from a more of a core position. And so the core motivations are for the one is the core fear of being wrong, evil, corruptible, um, unredeemable. And then the desire is to be good, ethical, moral, balanced, and right. Um, And that then spills into the core weakness of resentment. And resentment isn't, it's this place where ones repress their anger. um, And it comes out kind of sideways uh, through being kind of prickly or critical or judgmental um, because they can see um, what the world could and should be like the ideal perfection of what, whether in themselves, others, or the world. And so this resentment pops up, but they don't want to show anger because to them that would feel wrong and bad, which is their core fear. And so they repress it and this resentment starts to kind of come out. And so I would love to, for you to just talk a little bit about those three components. And then we're going to go into what the core longing is and how Christ satisfies that and how that brings real redemption. So can you just kind of touch on those first three core motivations? Yeah. So I think um, when I was first just figuring out my Enneagram type, I actually, I, because I can understand, I think the nine wing, I can understand where everybody's coming from. I, I Instead of going to descriptions, I just went to a sketchbook paper and I wrote down one thing I believed about myself. And then I said, okay, like what's the layer under that? And I wrote the next thing I believed about myself. And I went and went and went, and went until there wasn't another layer, like until I like hit the bottom. Mm-hmm. And whatever the statement was, I don't fully remember it, probably a good thing. Uh, it freaked me out because it was so um, raw and true. And I took that statement back to the Enneagram fears and was like, yes. oh, I'm a one. Okay. <laughs> there it is. Plain as day. That and it, it had something to do along with that, like, deeply broke, deeply 
wrong, unredeemable or, um, evil that somehow all of the things I do, even that I'm hoping are good, somehow have this bad motivation that I, that I'm not aware of, or I can't fix. Um, so Mm. this feeling of something like deeply evil within you that you, you can't fix, you can't undo. It's coming out. It's poisoning everything you do, even with your best motivations, even with your best like intentions, um, Mm. kind of that feeling of like, um, and it, like pride being a sin. So, but if you do something and you're like, oh yeah, I didn't do it pridefully. And now, oh wait, now you were prideful. So you still sit like <laughs> right. that kind of like mental trap. Um, yes. that, that fear that no matter what you do, you're going to, you, it, it's all coming from a place of rope and it will always be, um, evil or broken. Um, and that is such a deep, like my, I, I physically in being a body type, I physically am shaking when I think about that. Um, mm-hmm. because that's such like a deep, deep fear because the, the hope is to be blameless. Like, I think yes. that's, that's kind of the word that goes more. So like, I hope in, in everything I do, I'm blameless. There wouldn't be a, mm. something that somebody could point to and say, well, you did that wrong. You did that, you know, that was hurtful and you that's not possible it's not possible Mm. to be blameless in every circumstance um and having to so root that back in that identity in christ um which we'll get to uh but that constant like having to remind and go okay blameless to him i can't be blameless to every person because every person has different foundations and different perspectives and different vantage points. And I'm going to try to do my best by everybody around me. Um, but there's also the standard of truth that I have to operate on. Um, yeah. and so I just have to be blameless in him, in him, by him. And that's a great segue into the core longing because the core longing for the type one, this is the message our heart longs to hear. And we're trying to get it, you know, really from things on earth as humans, like our flesh, we're trying to get it from our jobs, our spouses, our kids, our friends, you name it, you know, it could be drinking, eating, shopping. There's all these ways that we try to fill this void that we have. And the core longing for the type one is to hear you are good. And it almost sounds like for you just to hear you are blameless, you know, and good. And so that's this longing that the type one has. And the inner critic of the one is constantly assaulting and berating and judging and criticizing the one for whether it's their their imperfections or the world's imperfections and will not let up until this happens. And so what we're kind of looking forward to with these um, interviews is the hope of Christ as we get closer and closer to Christmas. So what we're teaching at Your Enneagram Coach is how Christ satisfies our core longing. And so instead of trying to go get it from all these other places and not in and of themselves are wrong or bad, but if we think that is what's going to bring us that hope and that redemption, it's wrong. And so Christ is the spring of living water. Christ is our satisfaction. So let's talk about how Christ satisfies that core longing that he says you are good. And all the ones out there are going, but I'm not good. (laughs) I have sin. And I'm like, yeah, you do have sin. But here's the two main points. And I'd love for you to touch on them and how this how this lands on you as a type one for your own growth and transformation is the first thing that Christ does is that he has removed your sins, your past, present, and future sins through his life, death, and resurrection. Mm -hmm. And not only that, because a lot of people kind of just stop there, right? Oh, my sins are forgiven. Great. Well, guess what? God calls you to be perfect. We can't be perfect. And like the ones are like, I know I'm trying, you know, 
But here's the second point, which is just as beautiful, is that his righteousness has been credited to you. So God can look at you and say, you are good, not because of what you have done, but because of what Christ has done in and through you, through his redemptive process. Mm -hmm. So how do those two statements help you to grow and free you? So much. One of the big things I, I think I have to continually lean into and continually let him remind me of um, that, like, uh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. So, like, saying that is really, really common. I, as I, I, I had to study that and look into a lot and realize, like, after that point it, where Paul is wrestling, after that point, it, he does no longer refers to him as this, the chief sinner. He says that. And then from then on, he's, he refers to himself as a saint, mm. refers to himself as, or as, as all of these, the beloved, mm. God loves him. That, that identity shifts mm-hmm. at that point. And that when we, when we come to Christ and he puts his, God sees the righteousness of the son on us, that we are no longer walking around under the condemnation of sin, but we are walking around as saints established in him and that he doesn't see us that way anymore. Yes. And that, that is the key pin to the gospel because then we can, we can bring him into those spaces where we are no longer, we, we still struggle. We still are wrong, but we are no, our identity is no longer sinner. I think as a one, I think that's, that's a part of the gospel that I have to continually press into because the sinner is no longer my identity. Yes. My identity is, is redeemed. My identity is a child of God. My identity is saint. My identity is like you know, he sees that righteousness. Um, and as I, I lean into that, I think it's a kind of a continual thing. Oftentimes where I'm feeling this, this condemnation, or I'm feeling this guilt, or I'm feeling the things that I did wrong, that like openness the you know, to the, to the spirit who says you're okay. Like you're okay. I think that's just like those whispers that he grounds me with of it's okay. Mm -hmm you're okay. Like you're in me. I can, I can deal with this. I can work with this. I can fix this. Um, what is the, what are those experiences look like for you in light of, um, you're, if I understand ones, the imperfections of the world processes, experiences jump out. It's just apparent why other people don't see it. Who knows, but ones can see it. It's like a superpower. So there's this ongoing thought of wanting to bring change, to reform, to redeem, to renew stuff. What does it look like whenever the spirit sneaks up on you in the moment where you're so fixated on the mistake and all of a sudden it's, Kira, you're blameless here. You're you're mine. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. It's this, um, I don't know. I feel like the world, the vision flips upside down. Like I see all of the, I see all the things that should have been better, uh, and could have been better. And maybe if I'd worked just a little bit harder, you know, like would have been better. And, um, then when he, he says, it's okay. And he says it like it flips upside down. And instead of all the negatives, I just see all the good. Like I just see Mm. all the good things that were there, all of the, the, the good that came out of it, um, all of the things that are praiseworthy and, and excellent and mm. beautiful. Um, and it's, so it's like a, an hourglass and, you know, and I'm mm-hmm. seeing, I'm focused on all of this, but when we flop it around, like, it's just this good starts wow, pouring through sure. that hole and overwhelms mm. all of the things that maybe could have been better that I was fixated on. Um, and now they're gone. I mean, 
How fascinating. There's the focus for the one that I'm the instrument of redemption in the world. But it sounds like the spirit says, no, no, no. Your heavenly father is always at work. He is working about a different kind of redemption that you're not even aware of. Yeah, that or that is already underway. That is already happening oh, that I was yes. already a part of in ways that I, I missed. My nose was to the to the to the task mm-hmm. and I missed all of the flowers that already bloomed um, yeah. out of what we were doing yes. together, out of what he was already making. And so, yeah, there's things that are still left to be done. There's weeds that still have to be picked. There's ground that still has to be tilled. But when you turn around and you see the incredible garden that he's built just behind you, you can't, you, you go back to that work refreshed and you go, Oh, he's, he's going to make good out of this. Like, and I'm not going to pick every weed. It's not going to be totally perfect. But you look back and you see how the good outweighed all of the bad all along the way. You have to, you release a little bit of the need for it to be perfect. You realize that little bits of, of weeds or little things in between. I left, for instance, I weeded my, my front beds this morning and I hadn't for like months. It was terrible. And so I'm, I'm get digging out all of these things and there's these tiny antique clovers that grow up in our, in our things. And they really are beautiful. They are a weed. They're not technically supposed to be there. But when I pulled all of the big main weeds, I looked at those and they just, they felt wild and they felt lovely and good. And I intentionally left them all because they made it a little bit better, even in their imperfection, even in the fact that that's not where they're supposed to be. Um, it felt right. And I think that is a, like an example you, when you get out of the, it all has to be perfect to know it has to be good. And mm-hmm. God's definition of good is different than our definition of perfect. If he can look at me and say, I'm good, I don't have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and then I can take that to other people as a self-preservation one. My focus is almost always internal. Um, I'm, the blame goes internal. Um, and so resentment goes internal. <laughs> like mm-hmm. uh, The reaction mm-hmm. formation grabs an angry thought and immediately turns it around to what I should have done better or differently. Um, but so if I, but then when I realize that I don't, if he can look at me and say, it's good and it doesn't have to be perfect, then I can look at my daughter and say, she's good. She doesn't have to be perfect. Like yeah. I can look at, at my house. I can look at my community. I can look at my family and, and, and just the greater. And I can go, as long as it's good, that's enough. I don't know who's going to write this book, but man, it would be a good one because your, your experience in your garden almost sounds like a parable. Yeah. It, it, it's that winsomeness of Jesus catching people where they've missed it. Mm. And he's just slightly attuning them like, Hey, what are you, what, what are you doing in your garden there? Mm. Oh, really? You're pulling out weeds. But you're going to pull out that weed. It's, it's beautiful. I made that weed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like, oh, yeah, you're right, Jesus. Yeah. And, and Kira dropped everything and followed him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's a joy to now see them because I yes. can see them and I'm like, oh, wow, he planted those. Like I planted the other things, but he planted those. <laughs> it's his, it, it's his like, contribution. It. Yes, I and love it. Better. Well, I bet that's the same with your artwork. As you drop the chemicals, the paint, the colors, and they do what they will, I bet there's so many times you had a plan for there to be a mountain here or an ocean there. And it's like the chemicals just took them where they wanted. And you're like, oh, well, that is 
that is beautiful. That's not what I had in mind, but wow, look what God just did. Is that similar? Absolutely. Absolutely. When I, when I start, I'll share a little bit of this because it's, I think it's really key. My, my journey in the Enneagram is right sandwiched alongside my journey as an artist. And I, I believe God used art because it was that impetus of letting go and surrendering, um, in that journey is in my, in the Enneagram. Um, because when I, uh, when I said yes, and essentially accidentally became an artist, I, um, struggled with why is this good? Why, what good is this bringing to the world? Is this being internal, et cetera? Um, and he showed me, I was studying Genesis and he showed me the first thing he ever did with man was a creative collaboration. Mm. He, he named, he made the animals and then he let Adam name them mm. as an artist. Letting somebody name what you make is impossible. Um, <laughs> yeah. The name, the name comes from the creation of the process, the enjoyment of the the thing. Um, in a way it would be like if I, I painted something and then I let my daughter take a Sharpie and, and add to it. But then I believed that it's better because she touched it because not only did I make the art, but I made her and I love her voice and I love the things that she brings to the table. And so because she added herself into my painting, now it's even better. Mm. Now it's very good. And in a way, when, when I'm doing this art, it was this back to the, back to the garden, back to this creative collaboration with him where I see that tree or I see that landscape or I see that whatever, and I'm creating it. And he believes it's even better because I've put myself into it too. And I've joined into that creative collaboration with him where because my medium is so impacted by gravity and humidity and all of these natural elements that he made, it really feels like he is Mm -hmm. collaborating in the creation of the painting with him. I have to work with the nature that he set into motion. Um, And so there are things where it feels like I get to actually collaborate with him in that sense. And I get to let go and go, Oh, you're right. God, that is a much better way to do that. than I was planning to, yeah. <laughs> that mountain should be over there instead. Yeah. You're right. Um, obviously not that obvious, but uh, that letting go and that collaborating with. Well, and just like our favorite type nine artist, as Bob Ross would say, happy mistakes. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but in all seriousness, no, I love that. And I love, I love hearing how God has used your artwork and the Enneagram to bring you to a whole new place of rest and serenity, um, that brings your heart joy. And then it totally blesses all of us. So why don't you share real quickly, you know, where people can again, find your artwork. Um, so, th- cause I know that they're going to want to see this and they're going to want to know a little bit more about how the Enneagram has impacted you as a one in your creativity, accessing that seven and that four as well. Mm, yeah. So Kira Hinton.com make that, a, I've made that as easy as possible. <laughs> and, um, and then Kira Hinton studio on Instagram, um, are Instagram, you get those behind the scenes and the struggles. I share stories on a regular basis of how things didn't work the way that I wanted them to. Um, and kind of that, like that, uh, hopefully authentic, uh, this is what it really looks like to be a one, to struggle with perfection, to make something you like and never be able to make it again. Or, you know, that behind the scenes of, of all of those things. And then the website also has uh, kirahinton.com slash Enneagram is where all of my Enneagram resources are. The project I made, I made a video that explains uh, the thought process and metaphor behind every Enneagram painting and shows the creation of it. Um, there's a whole 
wealth of Enneagram related yes. stuff in that side of the website. Well, and you've taken our Becoming an Enneagram Coach course and are certified yep. and your mom as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. And I know that a lot of our coaches have loved using the um, the pictures of the Enneagram journey. Uh, tell us again the name of, of the whole thing that map of human mapping the human experience. Yeah. yeah. So, well, thank you so much for sharing your story, your, your love of art, your love of the Enneagram and letting everyone just kind of hear what it's like being a type one and going through the process of growth and leaning into Christ. Um, good message that you are good. Thanks, Kira. Thank you, Beth. Well, thanks everyone for joining us for this episode, but don't forget to check out the show notes for all of the resources that were mentioned in today's episode. And please come back next week as we continue this five-part series on the Enneagram and the Gospel as we interview each of the nine types. And the next episode, we're going to be interviewing Emily Lay, a type two, and Rachel Cruz, a type three. And always remember, the Enneagram reveals our deepest need for Jesus, not our need to work harder. It's the gospel that transforms us. 